This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. You're listening to Rough Translation from NPR. On the first day of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Naira Davlashian called her parents back home in Russia. At first, just wanting the comfort of her mom's voice. I couldn't get through to my mom, so I called my dad. Naira lives in France. Because of the pandemic, she hadn't seen her family in more than two years. And when she got through to her dad, she expected him to act shocked. Like, oh my God, what the hell is happening? Why is Russia bombing Ukraine? How terrible it is. That was my expectation. And the reality was like, oh, but this NATO, did you hear what Stoltenberg said? (laughs) Do you know? That's NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. What's your Stoltenberg saying? I'm like, he's not my Stoltenberg, okay? In this conversation where they were both speaking Russian, of course, her dad had switched his word for you. Not you, the singular, familiar form, but you. As the plural you in the West and us as like people in Russia, you know? I'm like, dad, what what are you talking about? I am from Russia. I I literally came from you. (laughs) And then her dad hands the phone to her brother. And my brother has never even been political, you know, he's never even cared. Now he started to speak with all these phrases from TV, you know, like a zombie or something. I started talking to Naira because she is a listener to our show and she reached out. Naira is a journalist, but she called to tell us a more personal story about her own struggle to share information and find some common language with her family. And then basically my dad took back the phone and we started talking about something else. And then my brother was basically trying to force my dad to to drop the phone, you know, to hang up. To hang up on her. And that's where I got really scared. Was her brother protecting himself? Was he protecting their parents? Was he protecting her? And then an even stranger thought came into her mind. Oh my God, are they going to think that I'm a, you know, national traitor, like in the Soviet Union, you know? What's like, am I going to be a foreign agent to them? What is happening? Like, how could this happen? This is Rough Translation. I'm Gregory Warner. So the fact that people inside Russia, at least those who watch mostly state TV, are living in a different reality, that should not be a surprise. Right, We appreciate the power of propaganda. Actually, on this podcast, we've covered some of those Russian propaganda techniques. What is, I think, though, still hard to fathom is just how impenetrable that wall of falsehood can be. Like Naira's parents, they had access to information, their own daughter is a journalist. But as soon as she spoke, the wall seemed to go up inside them. They acted like she was some kind of state agent. So when Naira called to tell her story, I had so many questions for her. We ended up talking for several hours. And this episode is basically a condensed version of that conversation. It's about her journey and these sets of calls she had with her family. Two separate calls, one week apart. And what changed in between? It's a story about what to do when language itself seems to put up a wall. Where do you find the words to break through? These so-called letters of happiness, Bisma Shastia, do you know? Naira's story, and the power of chainmail when Rough Translation returns. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. 
Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how her team makes an impact. We always do what we like to think of as actionable science. So the work that we do makes its way to things like nutrition and physical activity guidelines for cancer.org, where millions of people come each year to learn about how they can better prevent cancer. To learn more, go to cancer.org. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Noom. Noom understands that not everyone is starting from the same place and takes that into account. With their first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, you can find a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Support for NPR and the following message come from Betterment, an automated investing and savings app. CEO Sarah Levy shares Betterment's philosophy on investing. No matter the amount of money you have, it's always good to be invested. It's always good to start early. It's always good to save. And the power of being consistent in your habits is really the path to long-term wealth. Get started at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. On Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, we have very important people on our show and then ask them about very unimportant things. Here's U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Uh, We are also reliably informed that among your enthusiasms, in addition to macroeconomic policy, is mobile games. Uh, There is some truth in that. There's some truth in that. (laughs) Join us for the NPR podcast that considers all the other things. That's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. We are back with Rough Translation. I'm Gregory Warner. Naira grew up in Sochi, in southern Russia. As an ethnic Armenian, she never felt like she quite fit in. Coming from an Armenian family already, I didn't feel, you know, like Slavic, basically. And uh, and living and working in Moscow, I didn't feel Russian either, you know. People would look at her face and her clothes and address her in English, the language you'd use with a foreigner in Moscow. It's only when I moved to France that I started to feel like I know who I am. It felt easier to love her Russianness outside of Russia. But now with this war again, I'm like, who am I? <laughs> what the hell is happening? It was like the war had poisoned something. Yeah, I feel like I was basically deprived of a country that I I love. And I, I feel, can I love this country now? Can I love the language now? Yeah, it's shaken me to the core, I think. Recent speeches by Putin have only exacerbated the sense of us versus them, West versus Russia. He said that Russians with so-called Western values are traitors. The fifth column. When I heard that fifth column, I got so scared. Oh my God. It's like they're deliberately dividing us, you know? And I I wrote, wrote about that on Facebook, saying that I don't know how to speak to my parents, so I decided to not speak to them. And a lot of my friends said that was completely the same for them. And then there was one of my Ukrainian colleagues, she said, like, well, I still think you need to talk to your mom about what's happening in Ukraine. That comment was like the most hurtful to me, because she thought I would not talk to my mom about it at all. But of course I would. She would talk about Ukraine if she could find the words. But all the words she used seemed to just trigger her dad into echoing lines from state TV. The harder she pressed, the more he pushed her away with this plural you. What am I going to do? I I mean, 
I will not change my mind if they decide I'm a national traitor. What does it make of our family in the end? This could like mean that we will never see each other. And the fact that politics can destroy this love is very scary. Right, right. It's very scary. She didn't know how to break through this wall of us and them. And then she learned about a letter that was reportedly making the rounds on Russian social media. Uh, Let me open it. On my computer. The letter begins with this ominous sentence. If you don't forward this letter today to seven acquaintances, the next years of your life will be neither happy or peaceful. It's a chain letter, basically. And in Russia, these kind of letters are called letters of happiness. But then it changes. It says... You're reading this letter because Russia attacked Ukraine at night while civilians were sleeping. People in Ukraine sleep in bomb shelters. Among the victims, there are children. Our sons, husbands, and fathers are already dying. And the defense ministry of Russia is not naming them. It's a letter of unhappiness. This letter of unhappiness is calling for you to act against the war. If not for the Ukrainians, then for yourself. And here's where this letter started feeling unexpectedly relevant for Naira's own mission, to talk to her family. Because the whole second half of this letter, in very colloquial Russian, it doesn't speak with the you, but very much with a we. And the fate that will befall our Russia if this war isn't stopped. Our country will become a beggar, it says. Our children won't have food to eat. This letter has a spiritual force. It has absorbed the sufferings of millions of people. That's why we don't recommend for you to ignore it if you read it. The author of this letter is a member of a Russian feminist anti-war collective known by the initials FAS. The collective, it's organized in a kind of guerrilla cell structure, so members of one cell may have no contact with another. If one woman gets arrested, she can't name names. But Naira did speak with another activist in the collective. The person I spoke to about this um, letter, who wasn't the author either, she said that they reported that they could speak to many people thanks to this letter because these people were comfortable enough to respond and to have a conversation, you know. Well, why would a chain letter make it easier to have a conversation than news clips? This letter doesn't seem kind of hokey to you? No. (laughs) No. It's like, it's, I don't, I just see um, a Russian woman. Hmm. If we turn this letter into a woman, it would be a Russian woman wearing a headscarf, maybe because she's religious. This would be a woman who, um, who's afraid and who's trying to tell her truth. It's a woman so desperate. She doesn't know what to say to make this work. So she's using her last resort, you know, faith and curses and, yeah, things that are illogical to make other people listen. Yeah. I really felt that the woman writing this is part of this culture. She is more educated or maybe she's even non-religious, but she deeply connects with this part of 
Russian identity. By writing this letter, she undressed herself from this, let's call it Western clothes, and she just became more Russian. This letter, it wasn't the only anti-war message to reach for the language of faith and enchantment. Remember that state news employee who held up an anti-war sign on live television, Marina Asyanikova? She pre-recorded a video where she apologized for her work on state TV and ended with an invocation. Ten generations of Russians would be washing off the blood of this war. It was this kind of language and the ease with which the writers of this chain letter reached for it that resonated with Naira. I just felt supported. I, I felt like I'm not alone and I felt grateful to these women to feel the same as me. As hard as she'd worked to leave Russia and make a life in France, she felt like the only way she could connect with her parents was to reconnect with the side of herself she thought she'd left behind. Turning into a um, simple, <laughs> ethnically Armenian Russian woman who's trying to talk to her parents were simple, ethnic Armenian Russian people. Does that feel comforting or does it feel like a, a mask it feels like a state of desperation i desperately want to um be heard those first painful calls with her parents in the first days of the war were followed by a week of silence and the silence was hard, too. After almost a week of no calls, I spoke to my dad again. And we didn't talk about Ukraine at first. And then he um, he said, oh, I'm so worried about you. He's like, oh, in the West, they don't like the Russians. You should be so careful. If you feel in any way threatened, like, please get on the plane and come home. Naira said she had this realization that... He'd probably been watching a lot of Russian state TV again. Probably a segment about rising Russophobia in the West. My response could have been, what the hell are you watching? And et cetera, et cetera. No, like I decided to also let my guards down and tell him, no, dad, I'm actually okay. Actually, all the people that I know here have been so supportive and so understanding of the you know, the situation. But she said the situation, not the war. I, I didn't add that part about the war or anything because I tried to sort of not enter again in this, like, conflicting language. And by simply saying, I'm safe, and leaving it there, she gave her dad an opening. And he actually said, yeah, yeah, of course, they exaggerate so much on TV. He said, I'm like, wow. yes, yes, dad, it's true, it's true. <laughs> oh, no. And then she took it a third step. What was happening in Ukraine was wrong, she said. When I made it clear to him that this is happening and this should not be happening, I think he agreed with me because on a deep level, I think he he thinks of me as his daughter first and everything else second. For now. <laughs> oh, for now, he said. <laughs> I think it was. <laughs> oh, gosh. I was about to <laughs> end this on such an optimistic note. <laughs> um, 
No, you never know what will happen, but I'm hopeful. But I'm also afraid because the stakes are getting higher. This war is not ending. And from this perspective, I don't know what will happen to our family in the future. I can only think about now. And now I'm hopeful, but I'm also afraid. Well, it seems like the right uh, note to end on. So, Hmm. thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for listening. (laughs) Today's show is produced by Raina Cohen, edited by Luis Treas. The Rough Translation team includes Justine Yan, Adelina Lancianis, and Pablo Arguez. Liana Simstrom is our supervising producer. Bruce Oster is our senior supervising producer. The Rough Translation Executive High Council is Neil Carruth, Didi Skanky, Chris Turpin, and Anya Grunman. John Ellis composed music for our show. And if you are still listening to my voice right now, consider sending this show or really any of your favorite Rough Translation episodes to seven acquaintances. Okay, so it's not going to give you good luck per se, but it will certainly help more people discover the show. And that really does translate to us being able to do more in-depth reporting, bring more rough translation stories to you. So it is kind of like a chain, in, in sort of. And do send us your letters. I mean, Naira reached out. Thank you to Naira for telling her story and spending time with us. Your rough translation moments have really guided the kind of questions that make us curious. We can be reached at roughtranslation at npr.org, or we're on Twitter at Roughly. I'm Gregory Warner, back in two weeks with more Rough Translation. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. Your next trip is closer than you think with the Venture Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. This message comes from NPR sponsor, HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.